Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The 299th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! You're on the way to Worthy, Worthy 5, the Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber front court, Carolina with foul, he takes the timeout, they're out of timeout, technical foul, technical foul on Michigan, they're out of timeout. Front court, Williams on the drive, gets it back out to head, long outside shot, short rebounded, May, it's over, Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels, they are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national daggum champion. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina E-Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're back with you guys once again today here to recap Carolina's impressive win over Charleston Southern to close out the 2023 non-conference season and the 2023 basketball season as a whole. We'll take a look at the box score. You'll hear from Huber Davis, stat of the game, um, and so much more. Let's get right into it. Um, we knew going in that this wasn't the best opponent Carolina has played. This was the worst mid-major opponent Carolina had played in the non-conference season. Um, they were they were ranked 339th in Ken Palm and in the net. And, you know, it, it, we kind of were, were reminded of this during the broadcast. This was a coaching staff for Charleston Southern that resigned, quit, retired in the first month of the year. Um, and it's basically, you know, a, a – patch-made staff and put together just to kind of keep the program afloat during this difficult time. And, you know, Carolina had to make Charleston Southern look bad. And they did that on their way to a 165-60 to win. Um, Six players scored in double figures, led once again by R.J. Davis, who became the first Tar Heel ever to record 20 points, 10 assists, five steals, 
zero turnovers in a game as he led the charge for arguably the most impressive non-conference result uh, against a you know mid-major opponent under Hubert Davis. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, right? Like I, I tweeted out last night, and it feels like a lot of people are, are with me, which is kind of shocking. Usually there's a lot of disagreement on Twitter about wins like this, about um, some of the losses that we talked about earlier in the season. But a lot of people seem to think that last night, you know, it's it's not one that you're going to remember from the season, but it's one that last year, um, you know, even you know the, the prior two, three years before that, Carolina doesn't win the game the way that they won last night. And that's the thing that you'll love to see. That's what's different about this group is that they just understand that you have to take every game seriously. This was a Charleston Southern team that, yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, patchwork staff is, is putting it lightly. They literally just picked a former player and said, hey, bro, you're coaching the team. So it's one of the weirder scenarios. They've been a team that's been beaten up on a lot uh, in non-conference play. And so this was a team that you just really didn't know what to expect from them. They had some time off just like Carolina did. So maybe they would come out motivated, but Carolina wasted no time. Um, It was a dominant effort. I thought defensively Carolina did a lot of really good things. I mean, there were some open looks uh, that Charleston Southern had towards the end of the game that really allowed them to get to the 60-point mark that they eventually got to. But other than that, I mean, I think this was the perfect game for Carolina to build off of what they did in the game against Oklahoma on that end of the floor. And then offensively, I mean, yeah, R.J. Davis from the word go was locked in I mean, you would have thought this was a conference game with the shots that he was making and how committed he looked early on in the game. But it was really everybody. I mean, you see special games from the bench, um, you know, guys like Jalen Washington, Seth Trimble. Um, I, I think this is the type of game that you really wanted to have right before conference play. And for you to put up 105 points, which is your best output of the season, for you to uh, find a way to win this game by 45. I, I just, it, it, to me, it continues to show that this team is in a different spot than it has been in a while. Pro- again, since that 2018-19 season. Um, and it's another part of the reason why, look, those games, you know, we've watched them the past few years. And even though Carolina would win some of them by 25, 30 points, there were still so many mistakes. There were it, it was still at times a rough watch. Last night was just fun. I mean, the amount of times that you just laughed at some of the shots that were going down because it's just it, it's all falling for Carolina at this point um, was was great. And I, I mean, that's probably as much as I have enjoyed a non-conference win over a really bad mid-major in a long time. Yeah, look, the one the the one hundred and five points, the most scored this season, the most scored under Hubert Davis, um, and it was just an all around dominant offensive performance. Um, you know, look, the game was fourteen to nine in the first media timeout. Carolina maybe not as locked in defensively to start, um, but they would come out in the second sequence, go on a twelve nothing run, and from there. You know the game and the result was never was never in question. Let's take a look now at the box score 
Um, and I mentioned it's a pretty one. Carolina shot 56% from the field. They were 41 of 73. Uh, meanwhile, Charleston Southern shot 33%, including going one of their last 11. Carolina shot the ball well from the perimeter. 11 of 26 for 42%. Their three-point defense wasn't great. Uh, the Bucks were 10 of 25, which is 40%. And they had a stretch where they made four straight threes, but three of them were defended rather well, and one was banked in. So it was just you know a sequence where the opponent made shots. Um, Carolina 12 of 14 from the foul line. Charleston Southern was 8 of 9. How about just five turnovers for Carolina, just seven points off of turnovers for Charleston Southern, but 12 turnovers forced by Carolina, which led to 17 points. The rebounding margin, uh, had Carolina lost the rebounding battle, I would have I would have flipped. And I would have completely lost whatever bit of a voice I have yelling about rebounding. But that wasn't the case. 46 to 25 in favor of Carolina, 13 to 6 on the offensive glass. Um, Bish points, advantage Carolina, 43 to 6. Points in the paint, advantage Carolina, 52 to 12. Fast break points, advantage Carolina, 15 zip. Um, Carolina had 20 assists on their 41 made baskets, and Charleston Southern with 12 assists on their 21 made baskets let's now hear from the head coach of the Tar Heels Hubert Davis he spoke about the play of R.J. Davis in another historic outing for the senior card yeah he's in a really good rhythm Um, his leadership has been off the chart this year his defense has been terrific and just offensively um, there's very few players that from an offensive standpoint have the ability to be able to score with the ball in his hands and off the ball and still be able to distribute, get other people involved, and he just can do that. Shot selection is great. It's just in a really nice rhythm now, and it's nice to see him being celebrated for the type of player, the type of person, and the type of leader he is. I, I, I might be speaking hyperbole here, hyperbole here um this as good an individual guard play i've seen i mean at least since kobe white but if you want to go back even further joel berry's junior year where he led carolina to a national championship or marcus page's senior year when he led carolina to the title game like he isn't just complete control command his feel for the game was at an all-time high. You know, his shot selection last night was as good as it's been in any game this season. Um, that mid-range jump shot just feels automatic right now. The three-point shot is rounded into form. Um, he was three of six from behind the three-point line last night. So he's, he's already back to shooting near 40% from three. And, you know, I said a few games ago, I was running out of nice. Or I was running out of words to say. You fast forward a month later, it's getting really hard to describe him without saying All American, All ACC, and potentially maybe Player of the Year. 
Yeah, I mean, look, if it wasn't for Zach Eady, I think we would probably already be talking about that um, more than, you know, just Toriel fans. I think the national ba- uh, college basketball media would be there um, because what this guy's doing, I mean, yeah, we, we said it. And I didn't know that it would be this significant of a jump in his senior year. I mean, this dude could legitimately average 22, 23 points a game, um, which is for, for college, especially at a program like Carolina where you have so much talent around you I mean that would just be massive but yeah it's it's a complete I mean it's it's you're seeing a guy that is settling into the role that he should have been playing the majority of his career here and that's the thing and man it's no slight to Caleb Love I thought the dunk that he threw down last night on the Cal player who I mean honestly probably should not play basketball again after that taking that dunk to the face um I mean I think it's great I like the fact that he's succeeding out there but I also love the fact that this has opened RJ Davis up to being Carolina's best I mean he's their best player like at this point like I know that People still remember what we saw from Armando in 21-22 and how dominant he was. Guys, R.J. Davis is the best player this team has, and he just continues to show it. And, I mean, last night it was the way that he started the game, um, which is, you know, great for him considering that I think he knew, like, look, I want to come out of the gate fast here. They should not need me to be the guy down the stretch here. So I need to step up, get us off to a fast start, and make sure that we're not in that type of situation. And, I mean, it, it, at, at this point, I mean, his game, just just the shots that he is able to knock down that, with, with relative ease. I mean, you, you talked about the three-point shooting. One of his made threes was just a ridiculous one. I mean, a, a great high ball screen by Armando Baycott. I mean, he takes one step to his left, creates just enough space, and just shoots it immediately. Um, and it's so quick that the defense, the, the the defender has absolutely no time to react. And I mean, this one had to be 27, 28 foot shot, no problem at all. Like this, this is a guy right now that is shooting as well as he has at any point in his career, especially like, I, look, he puts up a lot of shots. So, I mean, he's not a guy that's going to be shooting, you know, mid fifties, maybe even 60% from the field. But he's a guy that I still think if you look at the way that he's playing right now, I mean, it's hard pressed to find a, a, a guard in recent memory, probably, as you said, probably back to Kobe White, um, that could really just take over a game like this for Carolina when they need him to. And so the other, the, the thing you like last night, too, and this, you know, it isn't something that's completely foreign to him. He's a guy that shares the basketball well. But, I mean, 10 assists, that's, that's not typically something you see from R.J. Davis every single night. So, I, I mean, he is – playing the best basketball of his career. And as a result, it, it, I mean, is almost a direct reflection of why we feel so good about where Carolina's at. Yeah, now you mentioned the 10 assists is most since the win over Marquette in the 2000, uh, was it 2022 NCAA tournament. Yes. Yep. Um, you know, in the opening round where, uh, you know, Carolina routed, routed the – Chaka Smart's team. It was his first double-double when, you know, 
containing points and rebounds or points and assists. He's done it with points and rebounds, but never points and assists. Um, and that just really goes to show you that while, yes, he's scoring the ball at a ridiculous clip, his eighth straight game with 20 points or more, um, he's also looking to find his teammates and get his other teammates involved. And, um, look, we know that um, this is a guard-driven sport. The NCAA tournament is a, you know, it's it's dependent on guard play. Um, and it's why, assuming Carolina gets in, you're going to feel very confident about their chances because they've got one of, if not the best, guard right now in the country. Let's move on now to the stat of the game. And there was a lot of different ways you could have gone because Carolina just played that well all around. But I went to the bench points because it was a 43-6 to advantage for Carolina. Carolina was plus 37 in terms of bench points last night. And, you know, we've, we've seen Carolina play mid-majors and beat them. We've seen them play mid-majors and blow them out. But never in large part to what you got because of your bench. And that was not the case last night. Carolina's bench was sensational. Two guys scored in double figures, Jalen Washington and Seth Tremble. You got great contributions from Jalen Withers, James Okonkwo, um, who got his first run since November. Um, came in and scored seven points in eight minutes. Um, you know, Paxton Wojcik made an impact. Like, every single bench player that Carolina put out there made a difference. And, look, you can't count on 43 bench points moving forward. You're not going to get that in the ACC night in, night out. But against some of those bottom-tier teams – where maybe you're looking to give Carol, you know, give RJ Davis, Armando Baycott, some guys some extra rest. You gotta be confident you can put those guys in and they can produce. And you know, the, the, the bench is deeper than it's been in years past. And last night was just another example of that being the case. Yeah, I mean, look, you shouldn't think that this is going to be the norm moving forward with Carolina in terms of bench production because, yeah, when you play, we've seen it, when Carolina plays tougher competition, uh, some of the guys off the bench, they show their youth. But this was another game that shows you that really the two most important guys off the bench for you. I mean, I guess you could make the argument Jalen Withers is, is maybe a little bit more important than Jalen Washington just because you have Armando Baycott there. But, I mean, Seth Trimble, the way that he has developed this year has been outstanding to watch because we knew we knew this about him last year. And he got off to the slow start like most Tar Heel point guards do. Um, now, you know, he's playing off the ball a pretty good amount. Still, there are times where they'll allow him to be the primary ball handler. But for the most part, um, there, you know, he's, he's playing off the ball. And I think it's helping him a lot. Um, he's also a guy that, you know, you, you saw it again last night. When this team gets out and runs, Seth Trimble is one of the main reasons they do that. He's aggressive. Um, that was, you know, something we liked about him when, we, when he was coming out of high school. And, I mean, for him to score 12 points last night, 6 of 10 from the field, pretty efficient as well. Um, you just got to love the way that he, he – how aggressive he is trying to get to the basket. And you saw that again last night. Um, but Jalen Washington, I, this is the one that I love the most because I remember there were people last year 
that were concerned, and even early in, in this season, that were concerned that Carolina, you know, why, why, why are they not playing him more? That was one of the issues last year with him. The other thing was, you know, some people thought he just simply wasn't good enough. Um, and you're you're seeing a guy now. This this is the dude that was a former five star prospect. He ended up being a four star coming out of high school because he gets hurt with a, a knee injury. But now he he looks the part of a guy that can not only be the backup but can be the future of this position for Carolina. Um, and I think, look, man, if, if Armando Baycott continues to struggle at times, some of the way that that he has and some of Carolina's non-conference games, you're going to see Jalen Washington at some point, mainly because even if he's a guy that at times um, you know, some of the more physical bigs can uh, go to work on him on the glass, he's a guy that can stretch the floor and he can do so many different things offensively for you. Last night, though, was a good rebounding night for him. That's a pretty, that, that's a good confidence booster. I mean, he pulls down seven, including two on the offensive end. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot to like about him. And then, yeah, Jalen Withers, I thought last night that that's the type of guy that that Carolina needs him to be. Um, you know, he has five points, uh, so contributes on the offensive end, knocks down a three, something that um, we saw him do early in the season. But I mean, he had just struggled uh, to be able to find any sort of rhythm from back there uh, since. But I mean, he, he has two blocks. That That's, I mean, you're looking for him, and he was active defensively all night. That's what you're looking for from him on the defensive end of the floor. So, I mean, a great all-around game for those guys. A Conquo, you know, again, that was really just late in the game. But the thing with him is, is like, he's a guy that, you know, you're just looking when he comes in in those moments, is he able to step up and dominate some of those types of opponents? Because, I mean, look, Hubert's showing us if the talent is there, if he feels like you are committed to the team, he is going to play you. Last year, I really feel like that he just thought that guys, certain guys just were not giving the type of effort that they needed to in practice. And he said, look, if you're not going to practice hard, then we're not putting you out there. You're not going to play. And I think this year's team, you're, you're seeing that. And every time that they get an opportunity like this against the mid-major, they've taken advantage of it. And you've even seen signs of it against uh, some of the better teams they've played. So hopefully in conference play, the success that we've seen, especially from guys like Trimble and Washington, can carry over. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it'll, it'll ultimately help determine how far this team goes. Um, I think one through five, Carolina can play with anybody. But you got to have more than five if you want to win the league, finish top three in the league, get the double bye in the ACC tournament. Let's now transition to our takeaways before we get to our discussion topics for this edition of the podcast. Um, last night, just all around great guard play. You know, we mentioned R.J. Davis, the double-double points and assists. How about Elliot Cadeau? 13 points all in the second half. And – you know, a lot of Tar Heel fans, even people that cover the team, have said, you know, he needs to seek his offense more. And I think, in theory, you're that's a that's a correct assessment because I think it elevates Carolina to a different level. Um, if you got to now worry about all five guys putting the ball in the basket, but this is a guy that's you know reclassified early. 
that part of the game was going to always take some time. The passing is natural. That's who he is. But scoring the ball and figuring out when to score, how to score, when to look to score, he was going to have to learn all that. And in the second half last night, he realized I'm quicker, I'm faster, I'm stronger. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a layup where, like, it was an NBA-esque type of layup where he used his body and his dribble to create separation to put the ball off the glass without it being contested. Like, it's there. The shot is funky. It doesn't look great, but he – I think it's maybe why he might be in college another year because if you can't shoot, it's hard for you to be in the NBA. But you can see where it's like if he works on it, it's going to be there. And so I thought that was really fun and and impressive to see. And then the growth of Seth Trimble's dribble drive game is remarkable. Like this was a guy that last year you only felt comfortable with him touching the ball if he was in the open court and was dunking it, kind of like his brother J.P. Tokato during his three years at Carolina. Well, now Seth Triple's a ball handler, and he's you know he's on the court with R.J. Davis. He's on the court with Elliot Cadeau, and he can put the ball on the floor, get to the rim. His mid-range is good. He has a good feel for when to pop and shoot it. And I thought last night when you look at them – Cormac Ryan also, uh, you know, seven points, three to seven shooting. Carolina didn't need him. But that trio of, of Davis, Cadeau, and Trimble was, was really fun to watch. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lineup of those three guys in ACC season. Yeah, I mean, look, that would certainly be interesting. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, I, that probably wouldn't help uh, to – soothe the rebounding issues either that would probably be a a lineup that would anger you on that end of the floor um but no i i look i mean rj davis speaks for himself at this point um the other two guys yeah i mean that's those were the guys that i I think you were kind of looking at and seeing how would they perform in this game um you know just talked about trimble a little bit uh but I, i mean the thing is is like you're right. It's really all three levels uh, of scoring. I mean, he, he's gotten so much better. Like, this is a dude who's found his shot um, and is feeling confident with it. Um, and then, I mean, when you look at the contributions that he had on the glass last night, six rebounds from a guard, I mean, that's what you want to see. Which and, is why you could play those three together because he's going to go get the ball. He's going to – Yeah. Gonna, I mean, I would. I mean, I'm not saying I want to see it for six, eight minutes. Yes. But two to three minutes, you could see that lineup if you need three ball handlers against a press-heavy team and understand that him and Davis are going to get to the backboard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I understand that. I mean, the thing, the one thing to note, of course, is that it is Charleston Southern that you did it against. But, I mean, yeah, he's still – he's an aggressive rebounder. We've seen it from him before. Probably the most aggressive of the guards uh, that are out there. But Cadeau, I mean, that, that was – I mean, that's his game. That's his game right now. And I think that's something that we've seen at times. I, I, I think he's gotten away from, um, especially against some of the tougher competition. And look, it, it's easier for some of the better teams that you face to take away the dribble drive from him because, I mean, look, they're, they're, they're much faster. I mean, the, the, 
Charleston Southern, their defenders are just, they're not the most fleet of foot guys. They can't stay in front of these quick guards for Carolina. But I thought, you know, we saw it early in the year from Cadeau. When he gets to the basket, it looks nice. He's a guy that can draw fouls, um, but he's a guy that can finish through contact as well. And you saw that the play you were referencing last night, um, which was uh, in the, the middle portion of the second half, is exactly the type of player that we know that he's capable of being. I mean, for him, you know, what we're seeing from him so far this year, I mean, it it looks like a true freshman guard in Carolina's system, a true, especially a point guard. Um, it looks like a guy that, as you said, is going to need at least one more year at the college level, um, could need, you know, two more years. I mean, he's, he's a guy that I think fits Kendall Marshall's mold to a T. Um, I, I think it'll develop for him the, the shot because I've seen him make it before. And I know, look, the level of competition when you get to the college level is always going to be better than what you face on the AAU level or whatever. But, I mean, I saw him at the Geico Nationals, and the dude has the ability to take over games and score the basketball. So I, I think it's there. I think it's just, you know, this is his, this is a freshman year. Things are moving probably a little bit fast for him at times when he's out there on the floor. But the good thing is, is as you mentioned, the passing ability is still there. And if he can get downhill, if he can find ways to get to the basket, he's going to be able to score for you. But the other thing that people have to realize with that is even if he's not scoring, it doesn't mean that he's not playing well. When you've got the, the other four starters that Carolina has right now, you don't need him to be a, a, a guy that's lighting it up. If he has nights where he scores the ball at a high level, like he did last night where he scores 13 points and was – five and nine from the field, you'll take that. But at times, hey, if he if he's putting up the scoring production that he kind of has been all season, you know, five points, seven points, something like that, Carolina's not really dying. Now, the area that he's got to work on more than anything is free throw shooting. But I, I think, you know, we saw some really good things from him and from Trimble last night to go along with R.J. Davis. And, yeah, it's the most confidence you've probably felt in a Tar Heel backcourt um, in a long, long time. Let's move on now um, to Jalen Washington's breakout game, big night for the bench. And the thing about Washington is, like, he did see 17-7 and seven in 16 minutes. So, you know, you know hyper-efficient, hyper-effective. Um, I, I tweeted this out last night. If you're not following me on Twitter, do so at HTB underscore Josh. Like his breakout season is going to be very similar to what you saw from John Henson back in the early 2010s when he becomes the guy next year. Here's the thing. There's a chance he becomes, you know, uh, that guy off the bench this year. Hubert Davis said that they have started practicing more with him on the floor with Armando Baycott um, in an effort, A, because they've got to rebound the ball better. Yeah. But, look, he was two of three from the perimeter last night. And, boy, does it look good when he shoots the ball from out there. And so it's different than Brady Manick, but he provides the same floor spacing that Brady Manick provided for that team that went on that run to the national championship game. And, you know, um, the worry with him is that, you know, how much can his body hold up because he still needs to put on maybe 10 to 15 more pounds. 
to compete inside with the Kyle Filipowski's, the North Shadow Mears of the world, two of the better bigs in the league on a consistent basis. But there's no de- there, there's no doubt that you know moving forward, he's gonna get his run. He's gonna get his minutes along with uh, Seth Trimble. And I felt like last night was really important for Jalen Withers. 16 minutes, 5 of 5, or he, that's, he, he scored 5 points, made both of his baskets, including a 3 in transition. He needed to get some confidence in himself because he's just been all over the place. He's been erratic. He's been a really big part of what Carolina's done defensively. But the other night against Oklahoma, he fouled two, he fouled two three point shots. Like, he can't do that. And it's why he didn't play in the second half. And I feel like he needs to be a big part of what this bench does moving forward. And, and so, you know, when you look at last night, was all about fine-tuning, all about getting as much positive momentum going into the new year. You got that from your starters. You got that in the bench from your three guys that you expect to be consistent contributors moving forward into ACC play. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of the two guys that you talked about, the two Jalens, um, you know, Jalen Withers, I, I think that's, yeah, that's his game. That's what you're hoping that you're going to see from him because you, you need him because, I mean, he's so versatile defensively. My thing is, is that I've been frustrated at times this year with the inconsistencies on the defensive end of the floor. And up until last night, he was bringing you nothing offensively. Um, I'm also a guy that thinks that here recently we've started seeing better play from Paxson Wojcik. I I thought you saw it again last night. I thought defensively Wojcik's been doing some good things. Um, I I get it. I get what Hubert was doing when he takes the hard foul against Kentucky. But at the same time, I mean, I think that was just a guy that got a little over eager on a – just just trying to make a play to prevent a basket. Um, I don't think it was anything malicious. And I, I think, you know, you, he, he's bringing you something. The thing is, he's not a guy that's found his rhythm on the offensive end either. Um, but Jalen Washington, or, or, he, he was just outstanding. Like, that is the big that we were hoping we were going to see come in here. It took some time. He showed the flashes, and the worst, the worst thing that happened to him last year was that game against Virginia. Because when people saw that in that game, they thought, "Well, this is who he is. This is why he should be out there all the time." And people didn't realize that he was still a guy that was rehabbing from an injury. Like, remember, he was not with the team to begin last season. He, you know, was still working on recovering. He got back on the court mid-season, and then eventually came in and was. Uh, you know, playing during conference play for Carolina. But this year, I mean, you can tell it's a guy that's more settled in his own skin. Um, He's a guy that just just feels like he is a college player. And, And yeah, I mean, we've seen it throughout the season from him. And I know there have been some games that people have pointed to him and said, you know, defensively inside, he's just been getting pushed around and everything like that. I mean, I, I think he has looked really, really good coming off the bench for a guy that is basically in his first full season with Carolina. Um, and you talked about the ability to stretch the floor. I, I mean, that's the thing that you like the most about him because there is legitimate ability there. Now, the the cool thing is, is that, yeah, when you put him at the five, well, then teams have to worry, hey, even with that high ball screen, if I leave him up top, he's going to knock down a shot. 
Um, so I think Carolina can use that to their advantage. But the other thing is, and, and you mentioned this, and they, I, I saw it last night and I said, hmm, that's intriguing. I, I kind of like this lineup. Him out there with Armando Baycott, I know defensively you're probably a little worried because how is he, especially with the way Carolina switches everything, how is he going to hold up, especially if he gets switched onto a guard more often than not when you're having to play on the perimeter as a four-man? But if he can prove, and he, I mean, we've seen it when he has the ball in his hands. He's athletic. He can move. He's hes not a stiff big. Um, so I, I think it, it could be possible. I want to see it, it. It's, again, just what you said earlier about seeing the three point guards on the floor at one time. It's probably not something where you're saying, all right, we're throwing this lineup out there and we're going to play it for 10 minutes. Um, you, it's probably one that you go to for maybe you know anywhere from four to six minutes a game. But it's definitely something, especially with the rebounding issues. If Jalen Washington can prove that he can rebound at a high level, well, hell, no one else has proven it. So why not tr- throw that lineup out there? Because it ain't really going to hurt you offensively. The last thing we want to talk about before we get to the, the, the discussion topics <clears throat> was the, def- the, the defensive success from Oklahoma carrying over. And Carolina was, after the first sequence of the game, locked in defensively. Um, they held Charleston something at 33%. Um, they did shoot 40% from three, but they forced 12 turnovers, scored 17 points off of them. More importantly, guys, this team pressed while winning. And this team pressed while winning by double digits. And... It was a beautiful thing to see because we haven't seen it. We saw it in the comeback against Florida State where they stayed in it because that's what got them in the lead. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, like there have been games where Carolina has not used the press um, while leading, and you thought you, 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 you should have or could have. And they did it the other night, and it overwhelmed Charleston Southern. It got the tempo where Carolina wanted it. It's why they were able to score 50-plus points in both both halves because you had more possessions. And the thing you got to like about what you've seen the last two games is there's been better spirit on that end of the court. They've, They've fought harder. They've rotated better. They've communicated better. And even when Carolina wasn't pressing, they're, they're still putting better pressure on the ball in the half court and causing turnovers, getting deflections, just impacting the game. And, um, you know, to, to, to see it against Oklahoma was one thing. But, you, you know, for, it to, for then, for it to come out the other night, proves that it might not be a one-off. Is this team going to be Virginia levels defensively? No, they're not. But – you know, if they can hold teams to 68, 70, 72 points consistently in ACC play with the way that this team can and will score the ball, they're going to win a lot of games. Uh, but if they're playing in the upper 70s and the low 80s, then those games become toss-ups. And so you got to love that against a lesser opponent for your first time on the court in roughly nine days, this team was – 
just as bought in, just as committed defensively as they were the last time out against a top 10 opponent. Yeah, and then look, people are probably going to read into it and say, well, this team still scored 60, and they were, you know, Wake Forest held them in the 50s, State held them in the 50s, same thing with the Citadel. The problem is, is that Carolina was able to create Turner. They started playing much quicker than those other teams are going to play. So I think that's the other thing. When you're incredibly efficient from the field, you're going to give them opportunities. I mean, Carolina was getting great looks early in the shot clock, and, I mean, you had to take them. You're not going to say, well, you know, we're worried about giving up more than 60 points. I I think what you brought up I I think is the thing that I've noticed the most. It really feels like the communication – is so much better because the way that they've switched everything, and they were doing this before, but especially the last two games, you see that, I mean, every time it looks like they are making the right switch, where before it seemed like there were times where guys simply just weren't telling each other to switch. Guys would be left wide open. Um, you know, guys just were, were were not quick enough to get in front of uh, you know a ball handler. Guy drives right by him to the basket. This is a completely different look the last two games. Now, again, for me, I still want to see it when they get into conference play before I'm going to say this is the new norm for this team. Because, yeah, Oklahoma, that's great. That's outstanding. That was a really good offensive team. You can't take anything away from what they did in the half court defensively. This team that they just played is not a great – I mean, I get it. They have got they, – they had four guys in double figures – but we talked about it when we previewed it. When you play three teams that are Division two or lower, it's going to make sense that you're going to have guys scoring at that type of level. So I'm not ready to, you know, celebrate and act like all of a sudden this this team on the defensive end of the floor um, is going to be one of the best in the conference. But at the same time, I mean, you saw, you know, the effort from the guys on that end of the floor. And the other thing, that you saw in this game, you mentioned the full-court press while they were leading. The thing that I liked the most about it was you saw it intermittently. They used it a few times. They would use it. I think there was one stretch they used it for like three straight possessions. Um, As you said, it was the one early in the game where they go on that 12-0 run. They use it in, in, in that area, and then they also come back to it later in the game where they used it, I think, for like one or two plays and then backed out of it. That's what I want to see from them for the rest of the season. You don't have to. Look, if there's a game that you get into like Florida State and you have to use it for pretty much the entirety of the game, um, you know, if you're down at, at the under-12 timeout or whatever in the second half, go for it. That's fine. Use it. And these guys are more than capable. They proved it to you. But if this is something that you just throw out there to just throw off the opponent, even if you're on a run yourself, all of a sudden, okay, we get we get two two quick threes back to back. It's a small, it's a mini six zero run. Well, let's press, let's press and try to turn this into something legit. That's that's a weapon that you can use. I like the fact that we've seen it from Hubert Davis, but be aggressive with it and use it in a majority of different ways. And that's the thing I've been asking. You can't run it for 40 minutes. We talked to Joel Berry. He said, look, we would be exhausted if we did that for 40 straight minutes. But at the same time, you it, this is what I've been asking, is just use it at strategic areas of the game. Last night they did, and I thought it worked wonders for Carolina. 
Let's get to our discussion topics uh, coming out of, of last night's win. Um, and Hubert Davis was somewhat asked a similar question to this in the postgame. Um, Carolina has three straight ACC road games coming to, to, to start the new year to start ACC play. We know Carolina just got done with a gauntlet of a schedule where they played five ranked teams in six games. Would you have preferred to see, and the Carolina can't help that Charleston Southern is as bad as they are, their coach quit, got fired, whatever it was, in the first month of the year. Would you have preferred to see a, a better opponent, maybe a true a, a true road game, something Carolina has not played in the non-conference this season before getting into ACC play? Or are you fine with a kind of cupcake, a tune-up game, if you will, before the start of league play? I mean, look, first of all, you're coming off of a layoff that was pretty extensive for the holiday break. And as you mentioned, they really just got back together probably Tuesday, maybe even possibly Wednesday. So, no. And and the other thing, like, I don't know if this is just a thought that you had in your mind or if you saw somebody complaining about this. But, guys, look at the rest of the schedule for Carolina. I think they're pretty battle-tested. Like, you played in the battle for Atlantis. You played Tennessee at home and beat them. You played UConn in Madison Square Garden in the Jimmy V Classic. You went to Atlanta and played uh, Kentucky in the CBS Sports Classic. And then you found a way to beat Oklahoma in the Jumpman, and that, that was a team that when you initially saw that on the schedule, you said, all right, that'll be a solid test for Carolina. I don't think you knew it would be that much of a test for Carolina with how good Oklahoma was coming in undefeated to that game. So, no, I, I, I don't mind this at all. This is not Carolina trying to shy away from playing some sort of important game. I mean, Charleston Southern is just one of those teams. I mean, look, they've never really been great. Like last year they were 10-21. and 21. The previous year they won six games the whole season. But at the same time, I mean, look, this is part of what Charleston Southern has done so far this year. Um, they've pretty much been on a tour of the Triangle area outside of going to Duke, and that's because Duke's basically playing the Charlotte Invitational against uh, the the 49ers and Queens, who they play uh, today. So I, I think, you know, this is one of those games that Carolina always does this. This was probably something Charleston Southern was interested in, and they said, all right, well, we'll let, you know, why don't we pay you to come up here to the Smith Center um, it'll be a great opportunity for your kids, but it'll give us a chance to, you know, if we're struggling, get ourselves right. And that's the other thing that you have to realize about this. Let's say that Carolina did lose the game against Oklahoma. Okay, this would be a game to sort of settle yourself back down. It wouldn't, you know, make it to where people would be like, okay, Carolina's fine. But it would give you a chance to sort of recollect yourself after the break and get prepared for conference play. So, I, I mean, to me, I have no issues with this at all. Yeah, I don't either. Um, look, at you, A, we got to make money. Last night was a, was a sold-out crowd. A Friday after Christmas, the Friday before the New Year. Um, and you need, you need these handful of games. Like, you did your job. You, you played really good mid-majors. Radford, Lehigh. You see Riverside competing with UCLA. Like you played really good mid major programs. You, you you need to play an opponent that you can beat up on 
to get other guys some minutes because who knows what last night does for Jalen Washington moving forward or Seth Trimble moving forward. Like you got those guys some confidence. You were also able to rest some of your guys mm-hmm. because no starter played more than 26 minutes. So it, it helps you develop depth. It helps you in a lot of different ways. You also gave that program. You paid them a good amount of money to come up there and, and, and get the butt whooping that they got. So I don't hate it. Um, Hubert Davis did put a lot of value in not playing a non-conference road game to get you ready for the ACC. We'll see how that holds up when you play three straight road games against a, a team that has your number in Pittsburgh, a Clemson team that looks poised to compete for an ACC regular season title, and then when you got to go to NC State, which will just be a you know a, a, an animal house as it always is. So, um, but all in all, you can't argue with Carolina's not caught. It's as tough as it's ever been from top to bottom. Last thing we'll talk about, because we can't not talk about it before we get out of here, um, first home game since Eric Montross passed away. Um, you knew Carolina was going to go all out to honor him and, and pay him respect. We didn't know it at the time when we previewed the game. The news broke shortly after that uh, Joe's Angel would call the game solo. They had no analysts last night. They left the chair, usually occupied by Eric Montrose, or the game analyst this year. That was open. Um, they did a moment of silence, a tribute video um, before the game as well. Jones was not as emotional in the pregame or while calling the game, more in the postgame as he was after the Oklahoma game. Um, I listened to all three of it, listened to the pregame, heard some of his calls during the game, listened to the postgame a little bit more together. This program just doesn't miss on honoring people. Like they, they, they get it right. They, they do it. They do it the right way. Um, It's still hard to believe that he's not here, that he's, he's gone. Um, Just the other day I was going through my phone and I was looking for a, a contact to text somebody and, you know, if you search on your iPhone, it'll suggest contacts. His name popped up, and it just kind of, like, hit me like, oh, I've texted him before. Can't text this guy anymore. Um, at least I get a response from him. Uh, but I thought last night was beautiful. I thought it was the right decision for, for Jones to do with Solo. Um, and when the time is right, They'll find the permanent guy to put beside him on on, on you know in the booth on the Tar Heel Sports Network. Yeah, no, it was it was definitely perfect. You'd imagine that was probably something that maybe was suggested by Jones as well. Um, he didn't get emotion as emotional in the intro to it, but during the moment of silence, you could see he was crying. Um, they showed the footage of of that on the ACC Network. Um, so yeah, I mean, and we knew it, he sent me a text. I I texted him when we found out the news and kind of told him, you know, on behalf of everyone from WFNZ, um, 
know, do we would you just want to say send our condolences and say how sorry we are? You know, Eric was a great guy, and we we had him on multiple times on on the Mac and Bone show. I know uh, you reached out to him at one point, um, but yeah, I mean. Uh, it's, it, it was, it was great all around and, you know, you knew it was going to be an emotional night for Carolina. Um, it's something that we'll be talking about, you know, it, it'll come up again for with, with the Duke games. I mean, again, he has one of the most iconic moments in the history of that rivalry with the bloody Montrose moment, um, which, you know, it's, is, uh, so, you know, an image that we see every time that that rivalry is brought up. So, you know, that. You know, they'll be honoring him. Of course, they'll be honoring Walter Davis. That's the other thing. We lost two guys that were legendary parts of the rivalry with Duke as well um, within this year. So um, you know that during probably both of those games, but especially the one in the Smith Center, that they are going to talk about that um, a lot. So uh, I thought they, they really did a great job of honoring him last night and uh, you know, I, it's going to be something. I wouldn't be shocked if if the Montrose warmups are something that Carolina wears for the rest of the year. Um, it would be, you know, a, a fitting tribute. And um, I just, I, I hate that, you know, we we won't get to hear him again. And that, unfortunately, um, it yeah, as it seems, we're doing too often now. Hubert Davis has to add another honorary pin to that jacket. Yeah, um, you know he he got he got pretty emotional in the post game when asked about the tribute, rightfully so. Former teammate, of course, you know, Bryce spent some time talking while they were in the NBA together, and of course his time back at Carolina was around him as much as anybody. So, um, you know, we're still going to continue to keep the Montrose family in our thoughts and prayers because, as Hubert Davis says, it it doesn't get easier even with time. But uh, with that. This is going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Before we let you go, guys, we do encourage you guys to visit the website. That's HeelToughBlog.com. Recap of the game is up there. Um, go back and check that out. Football season has come and gone, um, but the news will not stop. We expect staff changes, more transfer portal stuff, NFL draft stuff, all that on the horizon. So make sure you're staying locked into the HeelToughBlog.com for the latest Carolina basketball and Tar Heel football coverage. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, just simply search the Four Corners podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening, and as always, go Tar Heels! Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that!